missing. Okay, John chapter 5. John chapter 5. And we're going to start in verse 1. Today I want to talk to you about what it means to have uncommon relationships. What that look like, looks like. How to have them. You know, last week we talked about being an uncommon leader. Because as we follow Jesus and we become, we become imitators of Christ. And we start to look more like Jesus. And we become just like Jesus. It impacts how we lead. It impacts our relationships. And so because of Jesus, we have an opportunity to have uncommon leadership ability, uncommon relationships, our marriages, our friendships, our relationships with our families. My in-laws were here in first service this morning, and we have an uncommon relationship. I'm thankful for them. And uh, so I just, I just believe that God wants us to have a life that, it, that just goes beyond our own imagination for our life. The Bible tells us that he's in Ephesians 3.20. God says that he can do abundantly, exceedingly, above all we could ever ask or imagine. Jesus even told us that the enemy has come to steal from you, to kill you, and to destroy you. But I have come that you might have life and life more abundantly. One translation says life to the fullest. How many want the fullest that life has to offer? I want the fullest. I want the fullness of God. In my life. And so that's what we're talking about. Having an uncommon life. And today, uncommon relationships. John chapter 5. This is going to be an unusual portion of scripture for Valentine's Day weekend. But as I start to explain it, I hope it makes sense. John chapter 5, verse 1. After this, there was a feast of the Jews. And Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there is in Jerusalem by the sheep gate a pool, which is called in Hebrew Bethesda. And it has five porches. In these lay a great multitude of sick people, blind, lame, paralyzed, waiting for the moving of the water. For an angel went down at a certain time into the pool and he would stir up the water. Then whoever stepped in first after the stirring of the water was made well of whatever disease he had. Now a certain man was there who had an infirmity 38 years. And when Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had already been in that condition a long time, he said to him, do you want to be made well? And the sick man answered him and he said, Sir, I have no man to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up. But while I am coming, another steps down before me. And Jesus said to him, he gives them this command, because in order to rise up, to take your bed and walk, you have to obey the command of Jesus. Jesus says to him, rise up, take your bed and walk. Now watch what happens. Immediately the man was made well. Made well. He took up his bed and he walked. Isn't that an incredible thing? I'm telling you today, I don't care how bad it seems, how long it has been. There's deliverance, there's healing, there's restoration available to you through Jesus Christ today. You do not have to give up. You do not have to give in. You do not have to throw in the towel. I don't care if it's been 38 years of the same thing over and over and over and over again. When Jesus shows up on the scene, everything can change. Isn't that why we're in church this morning? Because we believe Jesus can do something in our lives. And so we come. And so, Father, in Jesus' name, we thank you for the opportunity to be in your house. We love you so much. Thank you for being so good. Thank you for being so gracious. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said amen. Amen. As I look at this story, one of my favorite stories in the Bible, one of the things I noticed and that I just took for granted the whole time I was reading it was I assumed for many years before I really jumped into the story, I assumed for many years that this man was paralyzed. Because one of the things the Bible says there, it says that the lame were there, the sick were there, and the last thing it says is paralyzed. And it goes on to talk about this man. It says he had an infirmity. 
for 38 years and he was laying there. And so in my head, I just connected the dots somehow. And I assumed that this guy was paralyzed, but this guy was not paralyzed at all. The Bible calls him an invalid. What the word invalid means there is basically he has a sickness that has led to a disability that has led to a disability or a dysfunction in his life. In other words, he has been sitting still for so long that he might even be able to move. He just physically can't do it anymore because he's been in this condition for so long. He has a dysfunction. He has an illness that has led to a dysfunction. And there are a lot of people in this room today. Something has happened to you. It's, it's an illness that has led to a dysfunction. You're not paralyzed. You're just sitting still. And Jesus has come this morning to tell you in your marriage in your relationships, in your life, with your family. It's time to get up, take your mat, and get on with your life. You've been sitting there way too long. It's time to move on with your life. And so I see Jesus coming. Jesus comes, and he's so, he's so great, isn't he? Jesus comes, and he walks into this situation, and he says to a guy who's been sick for 38 years, he says, do you want to be made well? The Bible tells us that the reason Jesus asked this question is because he saw the man had been there for a very long time. Maybe he'd even asked somebody, how long has he been here? Maybe he even just pulled up his, you know, eternal Google that's on the inside of him and just knew this guy had been there for 38 years. And so he looks at this situation and he says, this guy's not paralyzed. He might he might not have even looked sick or even been sick anymore. But he's been sitting for so long, it made Jesus wonder, does this guy even want to get better? And so Jesus asked him a question before he heals him, and he says, do you want to be made whole? And I I love his answer because it's the way most of us would answer. He doesn't say, yes, Jesus, yes, I want to be made whole. No, he's 38 years in this condition, and he's developed some excuses And he's developed some people to blame. And he's developed a situation around him that is keeping him from being everything he's supposed to be. And now it goes from being the doctor's fault to these people's fault. And now it's because people are beating him to the pool's fault. This guy has developed this syndrome that we are born with. It's called blame. It's always somebody else's fault. And it started with the first two people God created, Adam and Eve. In Genesis chapter 3, after they've eaten from the fruit and they see each other and they discover that they're naked and they try to sew fig leaves together and they hide from God, the Bible says God comes looking for them and he's asking, where are you? And finally, Adam kind of fesses up and says, hey, hey, God. And God says, what's going on? And Adam, first thing he does is he says, this wife you gave me made me eat this fruit. And there's Eve standing like, you were there too, you idiot. What are you, why are you blaming me? Blame, we've, we've, we've done it since the beginning. In John chapter 9, we're always looking for somebody to blame. In John chapter 9, the disciples are walking with Jesus and they kind of come around the corner and they see this guy who's blind and they look at Jesus and they say, Jesus, um, what, what did this guy's parents do that he was born this way? Because we're always looking for somebody to blame. It's always our parents' fault. It's always the way we were raised. It is so quiet in this Pentecostal church right now. 
It is always somebody else. My parents did this to me. My ex-husband, my ex-wife, my friends, my, my relatives, my sister did this. And we're constantly blaming other people. But can I tell you something? Nothing in your life changes until you change. Nothing in your life changes until you change. Even if the circumstance gets better, but you stay the same, eventually your new circumstance looks a whole lot like your other circumstance because you didn't change. And so when I talk about having uncommon relationships, I don't want you to look across the row at your spouse today. I don't want you to look across the sanctuary at your ex-girlfriend today. I don't want you to look across the sanctuary at your kids today. I want you to examine yourself this morning to see, like the Bible tells us, examine yourself to see if Christ is in you. Examine yourself because, listen, if you change, literally everything changes. Because you can change and go home to the same circumstance, but it doesn't affect you the way it used to affect you. I know that because I've been around the world and I've seen people in countries with less stuff than you could possibly imagine happier. Listen, when I was in Haiti right after the earthquake, I went there probably a month after that earthquake happened. We landed in Port-au-Prince. We get out onto the road, literally you drive by the Capitol and it is crumbled to the ground. Their White House is crumbled to the ground. It's like a scene from an apocalyptic movie. It is on the ground and you're driving around. There's piles of dirt and rubble everywhere. There's still some bodies in the street a month after this earthquake has happened. The smell is crazy. People are lined up on the streets living in the worst imaginable situation you could find. We pull up into the compound where they have this church that we're there to look at and to minister to and to talk to these people about Jesus. We get there. It's a church. It's a school. But it's become a place to house 5,000 people. There are 5,000 people on this property that are living outside. Some of them are living in like makeshift tents. They've got a little cover. They're searching for water. We finally, while we got, when we were there, they brought a clean water uh, system there. And so they were able to have water. And when that water system got there, you would have thought it was Christmas morning. You would have thought it was the greatest moment in the history of the world. It's like you act when you get new J's. You know what I'm talking about? They were so excited, so joyful. But what I noticed about this was this wasn't just an onset of joy because of the situation. They were actually, honestly, when I first got there, like that before the water got there. And I remember every morning there was this little 11-year-old girl who would walk up the steps. I would sit on the steps and eat my breakfast in the morning. And she would walk up on the steps and she would sit beside of me. And she would talk to me. And she didn't speak English. And so I had the guy with me, uh, Emil. He was over the home. He would sit with us and he would translate what she was saying. And this girl, 11 years old, had lost her parents. She lost her home. She lost her brothers and sisters. And every morning she comes walking up those steps with a smile on her face. Happy, joyful. And just three weeks prior, her whole family is gone. And you're upset. Because your mom and daddy didn't give you a PlayStation 4. You still have a PlayStation 3. And you're having a panic attack right now. So I want to tell you something. If you, if something is different about you, 
You can survive and thrive in any situation life could possibly throw at you because it is Christ in you, the hope of glory. It is not my situation that gives me hope. It is not my circumstance that has given me hope. It is not my surroundings that are giving me hope. It is the Christ in me that has given me hope this morning. And I just wanted to say that to you because I believe that with all of my heart. I really, really do. I really do. I believe that Christ in you is the thing that gives you hope and could cause you to thrive in any situation you find yourself in. But this guy was a little bit different. He was more like us and less like that 11-year-old girl in Haiti. Jesus says, do you want to be made well? And he says, sir, I don't have anybody. I don't have anybody to help me. As a matter of fact, when I do get up enough strength and I have a good day and the angel stirs up the waters, you know what happens? By the time I try to get myself down to this pool, somebody has already beaten me to the pool. And most people live their, their lives this way. Nobody's helping me. Everybody's getting favor but me. Everybody, it seems like everything's happening for everybody else but me. And we're constantly, man, it is so quiet in here. Everybody is constantly getting ahead but me. And we're constantly blaming other people for our problems. So I'm, I have to ask you, before I go on, to give you any advice from Scripture this morning. Do you want to be made well? Do you, do, do you want to be made well? Because if you want to be made well, your answer cannot be, well, I'd like it, but I need them to change. I'd like it, but my situation has to change. I'd like to be made well, but this guy or that guy or that woman or my parents or my situation. You don't understand, Pastor Rob. If you were going through what I was going through, you, you would know why I'm acting the way I'm acting. And the scripture is saying, do you want to be made well? Jesus didn't ask for your excuses. Do you know what excuses are? Excuses are like quicksand to your effort. You ever watch somebody on television, they're trying to get out of quicksand and the harder they try, the deeper they go. And that's the way it is in life. If you try, but you make excuses, you just keep sinking deeper and deeper and deeper. Well, I tried, but it didn't work. Every time you say that, you sink and sink and sink and sink. And then you find yourself buried in excuses. Buried in excuses. And so God has come today and said, do you want to be, do you want to be made well or do you want to make excuses? Do you want to be made well or do you want to blame other people? Do you want to be made well? So I noticed in this story something that happens. It's very interesting. Watch how good Jesus is. The Bible tells us that Jesus, first of all, he gives this man a command. He says, get up, take your mat and start walking. Now notice what happens. The Bible tells us that the man was immediately healed. But in order to experience the fullness of the healing, he had to get up, he had to take his mat, and he had to start walking. See, this is what God has come today to, to say to us. Do you want to be made well? One of the things you have to stop doing is you have to stop acting like a victim now. Because if you want to be made well, you've got to get up. you got to get up. You're not paralyzed. I know you've been here 38 years and you feel like everybody's passing you by. But the reality is, is you're not paralyzed. 
so get up. You're not dead, so get up. I know they left you, and I know it's painful, and I know you're hurting, but get up. I know you lost that job, and you thought it was going to be everything, and you thought it was going to be the solution. I know it hurts, but get up. I know you lost that house, and you thought that that was going to be the the best thing that ever happened to you. I know it's painful, but guess what? I'm asking you this morning to get up. I'm asking you, church, to get up. I know you're hurting. God knows we're hurting. God knows we go through stuff. But what God has come to say to us this morning is get up. You're not paralyzed. This didn't break you. This is not the end of you. It's not over yet. I've come this morning to tell you get back up again. Get up. But God, it's been, I don't care. Get up. But God, my legs, I don't care. Get up. But God, my feelings, I don't care. Get up. Get up. Some of you in here today, you need to just go ahead and stand on your feet right now and just give the devil a black eye and say, you know what? I'm getting up. I'm getting up. Whoo, man. I'm getting up. I'm not letting what they did, what they said, what happened to me, keep me on the verge of a miracle for 38 years. When it's right in front of me, all I have to do is move. He says, get up. Now watch what he says. Take up your mat. Because what happens when we've been in a situation for a very long time is once it looks like we can't get out, we just start to manage. And most marriages, you're just managing your marriage now. You're not trying. You're not trying. You're not trying. You say, well, well, I'm trying. Well, did you, did you get counseling? Well, I went for a couple weeks and it just, they just were saying mean stuff to me all the time. That's because you're messed up and you need to fix some stuff. Just give it some time. It took you 10 years to jack your marriage up. It's going to take more than three weeks to fix it. He said, take up your mat. Because what happens is we become comfortable in our dysfunction. And we get scared to try. Because maybe you tried before and you, and it just didn't work. Maybe you got in a moment like this and you were like, yeah, I'm, mm, that hurt. I'm going to, no. And the pain of what it felt like when we tried before and failed is keeping us from the future that God has for us. And so we're afraid to even try to work on our marriage anymore because we tried a few years ago and it didn't work. And now we're just managing our dysfunctions. We're managing our bad relationships. We're managing our addictions. We're just managing. We've learned to live with what used to disgust us. We've learned to live with what used to drive us crazy. We've learned to live with the thing that we were desperate to get out of. We're just surviving. Just managing. Just making it through. Because what happens is when you've had something a very long time and it seems like God isn't coming to rescue and people aren't coming to rescue and nobody's bailing you out, what happens very often is that you become a victim of your circumstance. But what happens when you come to Christ is everything that you were a victim of, now you have become a victor over. 
The Bible tells me I'm more than an overcomer in Christ Jesus. I'm the head and not the tail. I am above and not beneath. Nothing has victory over me. I have victory over it. I am no longer a victim. I am a victor. And this is what God is saying to him. I want you to get up. And I, I don't want you to leave your mat. You don't get this. You don't get it. Jesus said, get up, take your mat. Why would Jesus tell him to take his mat? Is Jesus just trying to be clean and like just kind of make sure he cleans up after himself? Is he like an eco nut where he's just like, no, you can't leave that mat there. It's bad on the environment. No. Jesus is saying something very spiritual, something very deep. Jesus is saying to us, the thing that you used to lay on as a victim, I'm calling you now to pick it up as a victor. And what used to... What you thought was going to destroy you has now become your testimony. What you thought, somebody needs to give God some praise. What you thought was going to kill you is now the thing you're walking around with as a badge of honor saying, look what the Lord, look what God has done. (laughs) So he said, pick it up, pick it up. Don't leave it on the ground. You were divorced, pick it up. Stop running from it. You were broken, you were abused, pick it up. Stop walking away, stop trying to hide it somewhere in your past and dig a big ditch and throw it in it. Pick it up, carry it around. I once was lost, but now I'm found. I once was blind, but now I see. I once was abused, but now I'm free. I once was neglected, but now I've been accepted. Come on, you've got to pick up the mat. Revelation says this is how they overcome by the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony. You went through that for a reason. Pick up your mat and walk. I don't have anything deep about walk. Just walk. Just walk. I didn't study long enough for that. So just, just, I got to the pick up your mat part. Just start walking. (laughs) and walk let me just give you some thoughts to have uncommon relationships one of the things we can do is first of all we've got to let our uniquenesses in our marriages and our friendships even our relationships with our families we've got to let our uniquenesses work for us not against us you know it's funny when you get married you're you're so different but that's one of the things that attracts you to the person that you're marrying they're They're unique from you. Unless you're just a narcissistic weirdo, you don't want to marry somebody just like you. You're not waking up in the morning, God, bring me someone just like me. That's a weirdo. Stay away. Stay away. No, you want somebody that's different than you, somebody who thinks different than you, somebody who creates and somebody who 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 does things just different and unique. And you find that person, you're, you're just amazed by how they operate and And then you get married and what used to be the thing that attracted to you now makes you want to attack them. Because before marriage, opposites attract. After marriage, opposites attack. That's just the way, that's the way it goes, it seems. And so that thing that made them so unique, you know, you were like, oh, mom, he's so artsy. And he's just, he wears flip flops and he's got long hair and permanent five o'clock shadow and he has Birkenstocks on all the time and he, he, you know, he shops at like mountain bike stores and 
Like he just is whimsical and he's always writing notes about how your love is like a hill that I want to climb. Just weird, just weird stuff. And you're like, gosh, he's, he's so amazing. And then you get married and five years later, what you thought was amazing is now lazy. You're like, he's a bum. He never shaves. His feet stink. <laughs> it's true. And so what we begin to do is we begin to make their uniqueness from us our enemy. We begin to make their uniqueness our enemy. It's like what Solomon did with David. David was so unique from Solomon. But what could have been his greatest asset in life became his greatest enemy because he was jealous of David's abilities. And if he would have just seen David as an asset, someone to be leaned into, someone if we join forces, one can put a thousand to flight, but two, ten thousand to flight. I become... I become a multiplier when I connect with somebody else. But I, he's an enemy. He, he's better than me at that. He does this better than me. But Solomon, you, you're so wise. I mean, people marveled at your wisdom. Or Saul, you're, you're, you're an incredible man of war. You're tall. You're strong. You're, you look like a king. You're handsome. Why are you jealous of, you are the king. Why are you jealous of David's ability, Saul? Why? Makes no sense. But we do it in marriage. Instead of building on one another's strengths, we get insecure and we start to attack. And what used to attract us, we're now attacking and you know, one of the things that's so unique about our relationship is, I don't know if you know this by now, but in my marriage, I'm the emotional one. You can laugh. It's okay. You can make fun of me. Like, Monica, she, 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 she's emotional, but she's so much more calm than me. Like, I remember just a few weeks ago, something was happening with one of the kids, and I'm kind of having a panic m- moment, and... I'm just like pacing the floor and she's like, Robbie, Robbie, Robbie. I'm like, why are you talking to me like you're my husband trying to like, like I'm supposed to be saying this to you right now, but I'm acting like a 13 year old girl and you're. She's like, Robbie, just just calm down. And, you know, part of me wants to rebel against that and be like. Who are you to tell me to calm down? I'm the man of this house, but that's a strength that she has that brings so much more power to our relationship. That's the way we should even look at our friendships. I should be jealous of your ability. I should be jealous of what you can do. I shouldn't, I shouldn't compare myself with you because if we join together, it's like, it's like, what is up with Batman? Why does he hate Superman so much? It's like, join forces. It's like... <laughs> Is that too shallow? That's too shallow. (laughs) I'm going to see Lego movie, so. By myself, my kids, I'm not even taking them. But (laughs) my my kids came home one day and I was watching Ella Enchanted all by myself. Did I just say that out loud in church? What the... (laughs) <laughs> like, Dad, you're such a weirdo. But I'm just romantic, guys. I just... 
So strange. So you celebrate the uniqueness. If you're single, it's, it's, the, it's the most successful people in life that you look at, and what they've done is they've found a way to maximize their uniqueness. Instead of comparing themselves or trying to do something like everybody else. No, the Bible tells us, even in Romans chapter 12, it says, do not conform to the ways of the world, but be transformed. The only way you can transform a world is if you stop conforming to it. So you don't want to be like everybody. You want to do it the way everybody else did it. You want to do it the way God has intended for you to do it. Celebrate the uniqueness that's in you. Celebrate the uniqueness that's in others. Another thing I see about people with uncommon relationships is they're constantly growing in grace and in mercy. They're constantly growing in grace grace and in mercy. And it's not like they're so gracious and they let people take advantage of them. That's not what I'm telling you to do. I'm not saying grow in grace. Learn to let people take advantage of you. No, I'm not saying that. Grace is when you give somebody what they didn't deserve. Mercy is when you don't give them what they do deserve. So I'm constantly trying to grow in the fact that I need to give my spouse, I need to give my friends, I need to give people that I'm in relationship with what they don't deserve. And that helps me not give them what they do deserve. Because sometimes your friends deserve to be smacked in the face. But the grace in you is going to say, you know what? I, I could smack them in the face and be justified. But I'm not going to do it. Why? Look at what Psalm chapter 102. Listen to what it says. Psalm, let me find this for you here. Psalm 103 and 10. Psalm 103 and 10. It says, he does not treat us as our sin deserves or repay us according to our iniquities. If God himself doesn't treat us the way we should be treated because of our sins, doesn't treat us according to the things that we have done, but He gives us mercy and He gives us grace. I mean, we should, we should try to do that for other people as much as we possibly can. Now, I want to tell you something about grace and mercy and growing in it too. When you grow in grace and mercy, it's not that you just are the person constantly forgiving people. It's that when you need forgiveness, you give grace and mercy. See... What happens in a, in a relationship very often, and I would say in everybody who's been married here for more than a week, you know, you're beyond the honeymoon in your home. Maybe even on your honeymoon, it was, it was a little jacked up. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, I've heard, there's been some crazy honeymoon stories I've heard. But maybe, maybe you've been married for three months or three years or 30 years. I, I don't know. But in every relationship you've got, whether it's marriage or friendship or whatever, there's going to be a place of disappointment. There's going to be a place where that person you love and put your trust in, where they break that trust. And what's going to happen in that situation is one or two things. First thing I usually see happen is the person who broke the trust can very often be the person who, not by the act they committed, but how they act afterwards, be the one who destroys the relationship. Because what happens when you break somebody's trust and you ask for forgiveness, when you ask for forgiveness, you expect somebody to forgive you. But if, they've treat, if they're treating you different, you're like, you didn't forgive me. But wait a second, trust and forgiveness are two different things. Do you hear that? Trust and forgiveness are two different things. I can forgive you immediately. You can come smack me right now and I'm like, Scream a little bit and call for my mom, but hey, I'll forgive you pretty quickly. 
I'll forgive you. But I might not trust you. Like if I see you coming, I might flinch. Or I might tell Pastor Fred, take him. Get him. Take him out. I might be like, security! (laughs) I don't know. But I'll forgive you, but I don't trust you. And you have to allow for that in relationship. If you've broken somebody's trust, yeah, maybe they've forgiven you, but don't expect everything to be the same within a couple of weeks or a couple of months. Listen, some of you, listen, if you've had an affair, some of you had an affair for a really long time. At least give them the same amount of time to get over it as it took you to get in it. You're running around for nine, ten months, three years, whatever. And then you come, you apologize, and you expect them to just forget it and just move on and trust you again. No, there's going to be some issues. They're going to come at you. They're going to be angry. They're going to say some stuff that's going to rub you the wrong way. And you have to allow them the space to be mad at you, to not trust you. They forgive you. They don't trust you. If I walk up on this stage and the stage just starts to collapse. I'm going to go to a Jenny Craig meeting, but after that Jenny Craig meeting... I'm stupid. I'm so stupid. So, I'm just saying what I know my wife is thinking. Um, after, after the stage falls, and, and I forgive the stage, it's not your fault. You were built wrong. I ate too many cheeseburgers. You were built. After I forgive the stage, the next time I walk up, I'm not going to just come running up here. I'm going to walk up timid. I'm going to walk up. I'm going to walk a little more gently. It's going to take me some time to trust you again. But just because somebody is struggling with trusting you doesn't mean they don't forgive you. Doesn't mean that. They forgive you. Give them some time. Give them some time. And the other thing, if you're the one that has been offended, Don't get bitter. Don't get bitter because what will happen very often is you know you're bitter when you are trying to make them experience some level of pain that is similar to the same pain that you felt. And so if you're holding on to this thing just because you want to hold on to it, you want them to feel what you felt, that's sinful. That is wrong. And you have to deal with God because God does not... Deal well with people that hold stuff against other people. Matter of fact, Jesus said, if you can't, if you can't forgive others, what do you say? I'm not going to be able to forgive you. Why? Because how can I give you what you won't give? Like, how, how, can, how can you receive what you won't dispense? So you can't get bitter. Oh, they hurt me. I'm, no, don't get bitter. Get better. Okay? So that's just a couple of thoughts if you've been wounded today. But grow in grace and mercy. Live to give. Live to give. What are you giving? The Bible says it's more blessed to give than it is to receive. What are you giving? What are you sharing? What are you, what are you sharing? What are you sharing with other people? You know, one of the reasons I think so many Christians are depressed is because they don't share good news. They've got this good news to tell and they don't say anything to anybody. That's got to that's be frustrating. You know how you feel when you give somebody good news, right? Like you're excited all day long. You get a phone call 
and it's like good news, and you're waiting for your spouse or your friend or whoever to get with them, to meet with them, to have lunch with them, so you can tell them this good news you got. And once you get with them, you're so excited, you're like, I've got some good news for you. And they're like, what is it? And you tell them, and you just kind of step back, and you look at their faces. It begins to glow, and they get excited, and you get excited, and it's awesome, and you feel so wonderful when you share good news. I'm telling you, in your relationships, the more good news you share, the more you share good news, the more you share a good report. See, I I know that things are bad, but everybody knows things are bad. Can we discuss what is working? Can you tell me what is good about this relationship? Can you share some good news? I know I didn't do the dishes and I know I didn't mow the lawn and I know I did. Can you tell me one good thing I have done in the past year for you? Just one? <laughs> just one, just one. That's all I need. I'm good for like a while. Just give me one. Man, how much... I could have titled this message, How to Be More Attractive. Because when you give, when you give, and you get, when you're giving good news, see, it makes the believer happy. There's, there's never a more joyful moment as a Christian than to tell somebody the good news of Jesus and lead them to the Lord right there in that situation. Nothing makes you feel more fulfilled than delivering good news. And we have good news that Jesus, he is alive and he has risen from the dead. He is coming back again. We have good news. We got to share it. We got to share it. So we've got to live to give. There's a friend of mine that every time he comes in town, I'm like, hey, you want to go to the mall? Because he buys me stuff every time I take him to the mall. I hope he doesn't doesn't listen to this sermon because I'm just going to drive up there just to see him. He lives in New York and can we go to the mall? I need new shoes. <laughs> he just, he's, so, he's a giver. Just giving. I mean, my in-laws have been in this weekend and they're just constantly giving and giving and don't expect anything in return. People who give are attractive. Have you ever looked at a couple and been like, how in the world did he get her? Like, you're like, what happened? (laughs) Brother Fred, I think that about you all the time. Like, what happened? Just messing with you. Because, man, beauty fades. I mean, that dude, it looked like he stepped out of a... GQ magazine, guess what? Same applies to him as everybody else. What goes up? Must come down. And you could try. You could try to fight it if you want it. You just end up looking weird. You just go with it. You just end up looking like this all the time. Like, hey, everybody. How you doing? I'm 70 and my eyes should not look like this. But don't act like you see anything weird. Just keep going. Just keep moving along. How do you not know that you can't blink anymore? Like, what is... Somebody needs to help you, and I'm trying right now. 
just go with it, man. Just let it. Now, if you can't see anymore because it just gets so... You just push them back a little bit. But you don't have to go that high. Like, somebody tell your person it's... Another thing I say, I need to quit. You need to be present. You got to live to give. You need to be present. Wherever you are, be there. Wherever you are, be there. I'll never forget. I got, I got totally embarrassed at a restaurant one time by my waiter. I was sitting there. We had just gotten to the restaurant and I had gotten a couple texts as we were walking in. And so I sit down, I'm answering these texts. And somehow through the text, I found myself just kind of on Twitter. And I was looking for something because somebody said, hey, do you see what's... And so I'm looking, trying to find it. And it's been like 10 minutes. And I haven't even looked up. And Mon- when I finally do look up, Monica's gone. The waiter has come. She's in the restroom. I didn't even know she left the table. The waiter comes over to me. This guy is like 6'2", 6'3". His skin tans when he's outside. I boil when I'm outside. He's got like no gray hair. It's, it's really nice and spiked. And then he's got, he's got like a chin. I, this morning I said, I don't have a chin. I was like, yeah, actually I do have three of them. But he had one and it was, it was like a Superman chin. And, and he comes over to me, this super good looking dude and I, I look up and I'm like wow that's an attractive man I'm embarrassed right now with the way I look and that wasn't the worst part he goes he goes man he's like if I had a wife as hot as yours I wouldn't spend one second on my phone when she's around me I said I said, yes, sir. Yeah, yeah. Yes, sir. Whatever you say, college person. Whatever you say, barista. It was, it was embarrassing. And she came out and I thought, we're never coming back to this restaurant again. It's the first thing I thought. And the second thing I thought is, wow, one day I'm going to look up from my screens and all of my stuff. And I'm going to realize, man, I've missed out on so much. I mean, how many times do you, do you sit on that thing and, you know, your kid comes and taps you on the shoulder and says, hey, dad, hey, dad, hey, mom, hey, mom, come play, come play. Let's go outside. And we keep our face in a screen. One day you're going to look up. Those kids are going to be gone. God help us that one day we don't look up and our wives have left the building. Not just gone to the restroom. We've got to be present because what you refuse to celebrate will leave you. What you refuse to honor will leave you. It's, a, it's true about every aspect of life. If you don't honor money, it will leave you. You just see it as this thing that just comes in and it just goes out. You've got to honor it. You've got to see it for what it's for and use it in a proper way. Or it will always be leaving you. People. 
You've got to see people for the value that they have. Because if you don't honor them, they'll just find somewhere Well, they will be honored. God will do it. God will not spend any time where He's tolerated. He will only show up where He is celebrated. Let's pray. Be present. And as we're praying, as we get ready to pray, I would say to you, be vocal. If you love somebody, say it. I love you. I love this church. Psalm 107 and verse 2. It says, let the redeemed of the Lord say so. If you love somebody, you love something, say it. I wonder if there's somebody even in this room today that sitting with you or near you or around you, maybe across the room from you. And you need to say, I love you. You need to know I love you. I would encourage you to do that today. Say it. Monica, I don't know where you're at right now, but if you're in this room or wherever you are, I love you. You're it for me. From now until forever, as long as I get to live, you're it. You're the only one. I love you. I don't care who knows that. I don't care if it embarrasses you. I love you. I'm for you. I believe in you. There's more in you than you could possibly imagine. God has great things in store for you. And you've watched me jump around on this stage for years now and you've worked in the background to raise our kids and your ladder is going to be greater than your former. I love you today, Monica. God, I love you. I don't care who knows it. I don't care how foolish it makes me look. I love you. And the reality is if people make fun of me for loving you, they haven't seen anything yet. I'll get crazier than they could ever possibly imagine. I'm like David. I'll become even more undignified than this because, God, 